Good morning, St. Tom's. It's lovely to be here this morning. Um, many of you will know that I work at Monash Uni Christian Union as well as uh, here. And at every staff meeting, we pray for each other briefly, and one person gets to talk extensively, more extensively, about what's happening and their life and their concerns and prayers. So there are always a series of questions, fairly obvious ones, but at the end, there's always a silly question. Last year, the question was, what heresy, what heresy have you believed? Sorry. There we go. What heresy have you believed? So one of my friends said that as a teenager, she believed that Jesus would return in the same way that he came the first time, as in via a virgin birth. And she really didn't want to be that virgin. (laughs) That was her private heresy. My private heresy for the first decade of my Christian life was, I'm done with suffering. Before I became a Christian, my parents had divorced. And I had struggled to look after my family, ended up suicidal. So in my mind, when I became a Christian, I'm done with suffering, no more for me now that I'm a Christian. About 10 years after I became a Christian, we were missionaries in Spain. One morning I was reading my Bible and discovered that actually all Christians will suffer. I was totally shocked, but it was right there in God's word. That same week, Rod and I were running our very first Christian camp in Spain by ourselves. We'd been to others, but this one was our first one by ourselves. Friday afternoon, Rod drops me at the camp in the mountains, and drives off to pick up people from the station. It's about 40 minutes there, 40 minutes back. So think back of the Dandenongs, beyond Belgrave somewhere, steep little valleys. Meanwhile, he's gone, I set up registrations. I allocate rooms, I welcome people. Bit surprised that Rod's not back yet. I organize dinner, I give instructions. I start dinner, I start the camp, all the time going backwards and forwards to the car park thinking, why is Rod not back yet? Eventually, the people Rod had gone to pick up turn up in a taxi. And as they run across the car park, or as they come across the car park towards me, they say in Spanish, Rod's all right, Rod's all right. But the car, it burnt up. Katie, what? I say. And they switch into English. Rod's all right. Rod's all right. But the car, it burnt up. I understood you in Spanish. (laughs) And that's what had happened. The car had burnt up. That is actually the car, both before and after. Everyone was safe, but the car as you can see, was completely destroyed. And all I could think was, God, I learned the lesson that Christians will suffer. I didn't need the demonstration. It is really shocking, isn't it, when you discover that Christians will suffer. 
And the foundation of our passage today is built on that idea. Paul, the author, experienced enormous suffering. Listen to how he describes it. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That is severe suffering. We felt we had received the sentence of death. And maybe you're in that place right now, or your friends and your family are. Then Paul is writing to you, and he's writing to those who would bring comfort to you, and he's writing to you as you comfort others, because Christians have a way to suffer well. But let's start at the beginning of our passage. Paul is writing to the Church of God in Corinth, a group of people he lived with for 18 months, people he loved, people who became Christians and grew into a church, people who lost their way and were severely reprimanded by Paul, people he still loved and longed to comfort. From verse 3, he launches straight into a prayer that expresses his desire to comfort his much-loved people. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. If you're reading the church Bibles, I realized I've used the wrong translation. I'm very sorry. But otherwise, here we go. So Paul prays, honoring, the God, and, honoring God as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and all comfort. In fact, he mentions comfort or consolation four times in two verses. And I found it confusing, so I drew a picture. I always draw pictures. God, the Father of Jesus, the Father of comfort, compassion, God of all comfort, comforts us who are comforted in our troubles, who comfort others in our troubles. Straightforward, yeah? And that sounds really great. And if we stopped there in the passage, you'd be buying into my own private heresy. I'm done with suffering. It's all about my comfort now. Uh, but just in case Paul, uh, the Corinthians and us miss the point, Paul goes on. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as we share, you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. Again, I drew a picture. A bit more complex. Christ's suffering, Paul shares in the suffering. And if he's distressed, it's for their comfort, their salvation. If he's comforted, it's for their comfort. And all of that leads to patient endurance of suffering. Therefore, our hope in them is firm. Our hope is firm. So I said a moment ago, Christians have a way of suffering well. But how? How do we suffer well? Well, the answer is through God's comfort. That's Paul's answer. 
When I read my own Christian books and even the Bible, I annotate the margins. Maybe you do the same. I know I've been really frustrated when I look back and all the margins have YBH question mark. YBH. YBH question mark. Well, this is a YBH question mark moment. YBH means yes, but how? Yes, but how? How does God comfort us? Well, I think this passage tells us three things. God comforts us eternally through Jesus' resurrection. He comforts us externally through comfort from others and internally through a changed perspective. First, God comforts us eternally through Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection changes everything. Listen as Paul explains what it means in his own situation. But this extreme suffering happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul has just listed off the immense struggle they'd faced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. We despaired of life itself. We, received, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Have you ever felt that sort of pressure? I'm sure many of you have. The sort of struggle that overwhelms you, that produces black despair, that leaves you with your chest aching, your mind spinning, your emotions churning. And unfortunately, if you haven't been there, someday you will. And what does Paul say? But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Yes, but how? How does that work? Well, in two ways. The first resurrection, that resurrection of Jesus, tells us because God loves us, he reached out to bring us home. He wants us with him eternally, and so Jesus died to reconcile us. Therefore, no matter what you're going through, this is our future. We are safe with God, no matter what. The second way this works is that if God can raise the dead, I'm sorry, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise us and he can do whatever he wants. He's able to deliver us from this suffering, so pray. Paul expresses it this way. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, whoop, sorry, that he will deliver, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Now, maybe you don't trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe you're not a Christian yet. Then you really need to investigate the death and resurrection of Christ. Research the questions. Did he really live? Did he really die? Did he really rise from death? And if so, what does it all mean? And once you've investigated, you need to put your trust in God who raises the dead because that brings joy. It means that whatever you're going through, there's hope for eternity. But if you are a Christian, what are the implications of God comforting us eternally? Well, it means even death can't separate us from him and anything short of death 
is survivable. Therefore, if you're a Christian, you need an old faith. I don't mean an old person's faith, but a faith that has survived hard times, a faith that can say, I've been in despair before and God brought me through. And a faith that can say, God has loved me all my days and I won't stop trusting him now. And if you don't have an old faith, you need to develop it by noticing the times God has brought you or others through hardship and recounting them to yourself by asking God to remind you of those times. You may have picked up in the past or in a conversation that I suffer from depression. Consequently, Psalm 77 is my favorite psalm. I call it the psalm of the depressive. The author is a groaning, weeping insomniac who calls out to God in his despair. He lists all his pains and then he says to himself, I will call to mind the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. He's got an old faith. He remembers God's wonders of old. And we need to do that too. We need to remember Jesus' death and resurrection. To remember the time that God brought us through heartache. To remember the time that God rescued us in trauma. And remember the time God answered our prayers for our loved ones. Old faith remembers. So God comforts us eternally through Jesus' death. And then he comforts us externally. Through the comfort from others. This is Paul's big point in the passage. I need the next slide, please. It's not working. In verse 3, Paul worships the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we receive from God. He says the comfort we receive is to be passed on. Many years ago, I was in complete despair because we had lost four jobs in five years in three different countries. I told John Altman that I was so angry with God that I couldn't pray. And his wise response changed my life. He said to me, pray angry prayers until you can't pray angry prayers anymore. And enlist your friends to pray wise, godly prayers and let God sort it out. Pray angry prayers until you can't pray angry prayers anymore. And I did just that. Those prayers were unprintable. John told me something I assume he'd learnt in his own periods of grief and hardship. And he passed on that hard-won lesson to me. He wasn't glib or patronising. Instead, he comforted me with the comfort he had received from God. We need to learn to do that. We aren't trumping other people's sorrows with our bigger, badder ones. Instead, we're sharing the hard-won wisdom from our own suffering and the tear-filled insight from our own anguish. We are bringing the comfort God gave us and delivering it to other people in their hopelessness. And here's some more hard-won wisdom from the same time, in fact. I was really suffering, and I couldn't see a way through and my friend Catherine comforted me by teaching me something she'd learnt. 
Catherine had been abused by her Christian husband for decades. Then she'd struggled as a single mum without support, housing or income. And yet she remained focused on God in a way that left me gobsmacked. She hadn't descended into despair like I had. She hadn't succumbed to listing all the things she'd lost. So she taught me how to count. Now, you might say that someone with, someone with a degree in pure maths probably doesn't need to learn how to count, but I did. Catherine taught me Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. She said to me, you have no choice about whether you suffer or not. But you do have a choice about what you count. You can count your sorrows or count your joys. If you keep counting and recounting your sorrows, then that's what you'll remember. And that's where your focus will be. But if you learn to count your joys, then your focus will be there. Simple but hard-won wisdom from a friend who loves me. Here's an example of how this works. Rod and I are currently looking for a new rental property because ours has, our house has been sold. So I could count the number of times we've had to move in our marriage, 27, and how many houses we've inspected so far, 40, and that would lead me to despair. I might trust God but only through gritted teeth. Or I could count the number of great houses we've lived in, houses that were places of joy, 25, and I could count the fact that we can actually afford to pay rent at the moment. That would lead to hopeful trust, not teeth-gritting trust, not blind trust, but hopeful trust. Same incident, but counted differently. Or another example. The car burning up. Sorrows. Burnt car, burnt registration papers, insurance battles in Spanish, battles with the fire agencies, battle with the police, and trauma. Joys, the best conference we've ever run. Students who understood that we valued teaching them about evangelism so deeply that we would briefly put aside our trauma to glorify God. Students who became Christians as a result of those that we had trained in evangelism. So how do you count your days? Count your joys, not your sorrows. Count in such a way that you may gain a wise heart. And finally, God comforts us internally. He changes the way we think about suffering. More and more, I think our culture tells us suffering is bad and always purposeless. But this passage tells us it isn't true. God changes our perspective from suffering is bad and purposeless to suffering builds something in us, the capacity to comfort others and a patient endurance that brings hope. Remember my diagram. Look at the last column. Patient endurance of suffering. And then the blue arrow underneath. All these things lead to patient endurance and therefore hope is firm. You see, I think Australians, Christians and non-Christians alike, want to be comfortable and in control. 
In fact, we idolize our personal comfort and we never want to relinquish control. And this can be seen in how deeply, desperately anxious people are about every aspect of their lives. What does this idol worship look like in our lives? Maybe you're idolizing your comfort by arranging your life, your time, your money, your housing in a way that suits only you. Maybe you get angry when your security is threatened. Maybe you never want to be uncertain, so you cover every possibility by micromanaging the people around you. Maybe you're impatient when things aren't sorted according to your time frame. So what difference does trusting Jesus make? Well, Jesus did exactly what we are totally afraid of. He gave up his comfort and his control by becoming a human being. Then he gave up his comfort and control by giving up his life so that we might come to God. He gave up all the control he held so we can trust in the God who raises the dead. He gave you all that he had so you can trust in God. So will you trust him? Will you give up your petty worship of personal comfort and total control? So how do Christians suffer well? Through God's comfort. Externally because of the resurrection. Externally because of the comfort from others. And internally because he can change our perspective. And if you're not a Christian and you want to learn to suffer well, then come to try Christ and put your trust in him. Come and ask me how to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the God of all comfort, the Father of compassion, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you our petty worship of comfort and control and we turn to you and rely on you. Help us to be people who worship well. Help us to acknowledge the Lord Jesus in all that we do. Help us to count our joys, not our sorrows, and have an old faith. Help us be your children first, now and always. Amen.